Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, since he's reconfigured his cabinet, has been on a diplomatic juggernaut ever since. He has not taken the opportunity to reinitiate the diet, and in fact, he's used this time ever since then to visit foreign countries, to go on diplomatic missions. He was in India last week. He's got the uh, prime minister from Australia visiting today. He's been doing a lot of things diplomatically and to show what Japan is like and how Japan should be revealed to the rest of the world. Interestingly, he had a lunch just this last week where he invited diplomats in the Tokyo community. He limited the invitation list, unfortunately, to those Japanese speakers, which is I guess this is a pretty big deal because of all of those ambassadors who represent their countries, I guess about 24, based on a calculation made by the prime minister's office, speak Japanese to a degree where they can have a lunch with the prime minister and speak among themselves in conversational Japanese. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Chuchek and Dr. Nancy Snow. What do you think about this, Dr. Nancy Snow, the prime minister inviting all of these diplomats over to have lunch over at the Sorikante? Uh, the media was there for part of it, and it was limited to the 24 who had some proficiency in Japanese. Now, whether or not that's fluency is another thing altogether. But if you put aside the fact that they speak Japanese, the purpose here, and Abe was very clear about it, was to try to win their hearts and minds in terms of the true colors of Japan. It, it, the translation of this event, uh, Kyoto News revealed, was to use these ambassadors to promote the charms of Japan, Japan as it is. And uh, that's not the same as true mutual understanding. You can have disagreements and, and understand each other, but it sounded like the mission here was very much one way, that this administration is upset, perhaps, with some of the foreign media coverage, and they're trying to persuade these ambassadors as part of their job here to promote all the positive aspects of Japan. I don't know if that is really their purpose. It's not clear how those ambassadors felt about being there at the lunch. But I think it also was a missed opportunity to perhaps have a larger gathering of both Japanese and non-Japanese speakers, because I, for one, don't think that Japan is inscrutable if you don't master the Japanese language. Right. You can live here for years and master the language and really not know the culture and remain very superficially uh, tied to the culture. So I think that that's sort of a misnomer. And it also raises this myth that I hear so often when I go out to lecture, and that is that even if you master Japanese, the Japanese will remain inscrutable. Yes. This culture is impenetrable. And it's an unfortunate myth because it, it's so sort of, it, it takes away your energy and enthusiasm after a while if you're told because you're not Japanese, mm -hmm. you'll never fully understand Japan or the Japanese. But I have problems with this uh, based on the fact that it's not clear really what the discussion was all about other than that it was a showcase, kind mm -hmm. of a dog and pony show to remind them, hey, we only want to hear the good things about Japan. Right. And th this is an open society. This is a democratic society. Debate and disagreement and dissent ought to be major uh, forums as, as part of the discourse here and not just a reminder. We all know about cool Japan. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that here. 
But we hear about that incessantly, the positive aspects. Right. Well, it's a fact that learning Japanese is probably one of the most difficult things to do for for any Westerner, I mean, just because of the linguistics and, and that sort of thing. But it's also true that, that of the diplomatic missions, not every country has a professional diplomat serving as their ambassador. So for people like uh, the current ambassador from the United States, it's, it's not her profession to be an ambassador or a diplomat. So for, for a lot of these people learning Japanese, it's just not in the mix. But Michael, what do you think about them closing this, this door of opportunity? I mean, it is a big deal to be invited to have lunch with the prime minister. It's a, it's a great thing, and it should have been open to all ambassadors. The idea that there is some kind of hierarchy based on one's knowledge of the Japanese language mm -hmm. is diplomatically stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's just it's not something, the message you want to send out. And they categorized these ambassadors as being not Japanese language speakers, but as being chinichi ha, as being people who are of the faction who understand Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, that's an mm -hmm. incredible assumption right. mm -hmm. uh, to make. And I have a personal problem with this particular uh, luncheon because the person sitting next to the prime minister, uh, who is most clearly the person who was in charge of this entire plan, uh, is uh, one of my major bugbears, Seko Hiroshige, who has been a, a longtime advisor, personal advisor to the prime minister. He is currently a, a, a deputy chief cabinet minister. Uh, he, that's the post that he holds. Uh, he has a degree from Boston College in communications, but he is seen broadly throughout Nagata-cho as being completely incapable of understanding other people's <laughs> thinking. And he, he was the basically the mater d of this thing. And this is based upon some bizarre sensibility that there is, you know, the reason why Japan has a poor image internationally is because people don't understand Japan. Mm -hmm. And that if you speak the Japanese language, you are suddenly going to flip over from being an anti-Japanese advocate to a pro-Japan right. advocate. We had the same concept this week in a column printed in the Sankei Shinbun by one of their editorialists, who's also a member of the editorial staff, who wanted and was advocating a Japanese proficiency test for foreign journalists operating in Japan, that they would not get their visa to operate as a journalist unless they could pass a proficiency test. Oh, uh, good, good luck to try to tell that to the New York Times or the Washington right. Post mm -hmm. or, the, or the, the London Economist or the Financial Times that their correspondents have to pass a language test. Uh, but this is the atmosphere mm -hmm. and this is the concept that they're working in. Well, this branding, this, this constant um, talking about Japan and what it's like to be Japanese and our products are doing great and we're building up to the Tokyo Olympics. This is something that's really occupied the prime minister since the passage of the security legislation. And is this the sort of thing that you think will continue until um, maybe the uh, the elections of, of uh, the summer? Or is it something that is just right now until the end of the year and now he's going to be on the economy? Well, I, I think it'll continue, but it might continue poorly, like mm. Michael points out, because that editorial is just another sign of <laughs> being out of touch with reality. Yeah. 
the foreign correspondence, the number has been in decline. Japan's ranking in the index of press freedom from Reporters right. Without Borders has been in decline. It's like number 64 right now. Globally, it's... Uh... And it will probably be down further in mm-hmm. 2016. So you've got these pressing issues. The Fukushima Daiichi issue is not going to go away right. before 2020. You can't just turn people's heads and say... Don't look there. Look here. Right. Look at the new stadium. Don't pay any attention to radiation or uh, all of the refuse uh, mm-hmm. from coming from the, the plant that, or the whaling issue or whatever it may be. And this is just a an attempt. It looks a little bit staged and in that sense rather unsophisticated. And that's often... My gripe is that if you're going to press, do this full court press of mm-hmm. global PR, do it smartly and show that you are capable of taking some criticism, that it's okay, that actually you might benefit from having things pointed out that are not working to the greater good. I, I'm an enormous fan of Japan, even in my criticism, right. because if I didn't care about Japan, I'd be neutral or I wouldn't be here. There are plenty of people like me here, but we're living in this climate that I worry about that has this sort of effect of, well, gee, because I don't speak <laughs> Japanese, should I really even be speaking up at Should events. Should I raise my voice, right? Yes, because th- I'm just going to be pushed down right. and, and I'll be told that you'll never understand us. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it takes away all the communication. Right. Well, there's, there is a tiny number of foreigners here in Japan whose livelihoods depend on telling the right wing. Yeah. The problem is people who don't speak Japanese mm-hmm. and who don't understand Japanese, therefore they don't understand Japan, and they are advocates for the Chinese and the South Koreans, mm. even though they're here. Mm-hmm. And there's a small group of persons who, whose incomes depend on that. Mm-hmm. And they become, they go to all these meetings mm-hmm. and all these speeches mm-hmm. and, and give their spiel in Japanese, explaining that this is the situation. Mm. And the right wing sees it as, that must be true. Mm-hmm. So what we have to do is, we, we have to do PR, like this this ambassador's meeting. So there's there are p- persons who are profiting from all this. That's right. And it w- there, this idea that Japan should not be lectured was also brought up uh, by the publication also recently, I think it was this week, of a letter from Japanese histor- right-wing oh, yeah. historians criticizing the the letter that was written That's by right. the the global group of historians and signed by at first 187 historians worldwide and then about 400 mm-hmm. uh, asking the Abe administration to to back off right. from trying to revise history right uh, you know that foreigners should not be telling Japanese what to do mm-hmm. that's a very strong thing for the right wing and. Let's face it, Mr. Seko is, is, is one of their representatives mm. in, in the context. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a pretty big deal in any event to be invited to the prime minister's office. There must have been some strategy there, some branding strategy that he was pursuing because to, to open the Kante up for these, these um, ambassadors, these um, representatives of you know, at least 24 countries who were, who were present, there has to be a kernel of a good idea that was originally there that maybe just after analysis and you look at it, you say, well, now that's also, it's not only exclusive, but it's also very uh, pejorative. Well, that basically what you're going to have only 
coming are career bureaucrats, mm-hmm. the people whose yeah. whose lives depend upon their facility with the language. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to have persons like Ambassador Kennedy who are appointed due to their stature in their home countries. Right. Yet, you know, it's their stature in their home countries that give them the juice to go mm-hmm. to their home countries and and be a, an effective force for right. Japan. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's it's a complete mismatch. Well, you know, as as you live here and you start to learn Japanese, you're always rewarded with the reaction of people that you're you're living with and you're act, interacting with, and people always are so grateful that you make the effort to to learn Japanese. And perhaps maybe the prime minister was trying to express some sort of gratitude that you diplomats you have gone you know so far as to to you know, really uh, absorb the language and the culture, and therefore maybe you can um, understand us better and thereby portray us to the home country um, at maybe a a better level. What do you you think of that one? (laughs) I would just add that I was just reading several articles where you you have these correspondents who sort of parachute in and they write about their wonderful time. There was a columnist who brought her family here, and it was a very lengthy article in one of the major media Mm -hmm. in the U.S. She doesn't speak Japanese, and and she said that she still had a great time, even though in her words, she said the Japanese don't speak English. I mean, it was this blanket statement, and I thought, wow, this perpetuates that image, Mm -hmm. because it's about, it's not as if they were using global English as their language of communication, at least in part. It was, oh, no, you have to pass the Japanese threshold test. So if they want to bring more foreign visitors here, they have to communicate that you will find people who can communicate to you in English, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, like it or not, the global language of of tourism. And they actually have a program of bringing uh, authors, writers, journalists, and, and bloggers in but it's run out of Seco's office, mm-hmm. and, and therefore the selection process is not of critical voices, mm-hmm. but of persons who can say they had a great time. That's right, yeah. Well, and that gets to be sort of a tiresome refrain, because mm-hmm. you, you really want to show the the intricacies here, the contradictions. That That's the exciting part. It, it's not just that you went to the five-star hotel and you had the five-star meal. Right. Uh, that doesn't. That's not as relatable to the middle-class uh, tourists that you would like to bring here as well. Well, like on many things that we talk about on Tokyo on Fire, it, at first blush, some of the news that we discuss looks one way when, in fact, when you delve into it and you analyze it a little bit more, it actually has other implications. Stay tuned to this issue. The Prime Minister continues his diplomatic activities in a very, very strong way. We'll continue to watch this and report on it as it comes up. Thank you for watching.